Drew Alper, the team on the brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his weekly Monday appearance, his weekly Monday appearance, is the managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. If anything has defined the last, uh, say, two or three weeks of baseball, of baseball transactions, it is the numerous extensions that the Atlanta Braves Baseball Club has agreed to with its younger players. That trend continued this past week when the Atlanta Braves extended Andrelton Simmons. Andrelton Simmons. I'm sure Andrelton Simmons. Andrelton Simmons. And they extended Andrelton Simmons, shortstop Andrelton Simmons, for seven years. Seven years and $58 million. Seven years and $58 million. Dave Cameron addresses that. He addresses a, a number of other extensions that occurred this past week. We talk about extension season this time of the year, mid-February, I guess, this time of year is sort of the extension season, and also some of the uh, Baltimore Orioles free agent signings of the last week, or the two notable free agent signings of the last week, uh, th- those being Ubaldo Jimenez and Nelson Cruz. Is there more than that? Yes, of course there's more than that. You're about to deal with Dave Cameron. Dave, managing editor Cameron, as he's known to no one. Spangraphs Audio features that, da- that same Dave Cameron, features that same Dave Cameron, and it begins right now. <laughs> Your timing is impeccable. We don't have to make any noise for this entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. It will just be Dave's dog, Squeak Toy. <laughs> That's really great. You know, is it just is it just one is it just one Squeak Toy? Oh no 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 no! You, if you have a dog, you have to have like a, a few thousand Squeak Toys. An assortment of them. They don't last very long. Actually, the one that she you hear on the podcast most often is a little rubber red dog. That's actually lasted more more than most. It's uh, pretty durable. Do you have a Do you have a strategy when acquiring? I mean, like this this red dog. Did you did you know this one would be more durable, or is it just a chance? Yeah, it's pretty much chance. I think the the best strategy is buy them as cheap as possible because you know they're not going to last, so don't spend any money on them. Okay. So we we pick them up at like big lots or the Goodwill or you know like places where you're not spending significant amounts of money. Right. There's yeah. There's no there's no such thing as a as a deluxe true toy. No. Really. Yeah, I've actually, I, I had a thought last week, and, you know, now that I'm going to give this away on the podcast, someone else is going to steal it and make millions. Yeah. Uh, there should be, like, a Netflix of uh, doggy toy subscription where someone who has, like, curated and tested which toys actually last will, like, send you, you know, put three or four toys per month for, like, ten bucks a month and mail them to your house, and then you just send them back after the, you know, when you're done with them, and then you can, like, constantly be refreshing and giving your dog new toys. Well, you just send them, what are they going to do with them? They'll send them to someone else. So you have like a used doggy toy uh, uh, depository, and and they are like a central hub, and they just exchange them around all these people who are paying them a subscription fee, and uh, then everyone just kind of gets a new toy, you know, for a month. And then if your dog destroys it, you know, you pay like a three dollar fee or something. All right. Yeah. And how much yeah. does a toy actually cost? Yeah, most dog toys are like six bucks. Oh, okay. All right. All right. And in in what is the is it just like the dogs like to have a thing? I mean, I I, I mean, I've seen I know the dogs like these toys, but yeah. do you know why? Uh, well, I think so. The squeaky ones give them stimulation from the fact that they're causing the squeak. They like to get some kind of response when they 
bite down on it. So yeah. uh, that's helpful to them because it makes them feel like they're doing something and they're causing it. Uh, I think the other thing is dogs just like to chew. They're just uh, chewing machines, and if you don't give them a toy to chew on, they'll find your furniture. Okay. All right. Hey, no, wait. One last question. The the dog park where you go. Yes. Is that fenced in? Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. Otherwise, it would otherwise it would just be a big yard. I feel like I've been to one that's not fenced in before. I recognize that that is different. That's not a dog park, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like for some reason the dogs somehow knew not to go outside the boundaries. But that wasn't like a electric fence either. I I think so. I mean, I'm not disputing your memory, which yeah. we know is flawless. Yeah. But if we're going to take your dog off a leash. Uh, in an unknown area, and there's no containment, there's a pretty good chance your dog is going to run away. Do, but do they not – don't they know that they're, you're the source of food? They do, but they also uh, get distracted easily and see shiny objects and yeah. Uh, yeah. smells and, you know, uh, animals and yeah. things. And, you know, I mean, it's not that they will run away in order to get away from you, but they will be interested in exploring new areas and probably not that interested in coming back to your leash. Right. Okay. All right. Well, now we've settled that, and we'll, we'll maybe have some more guest appearances uh, from Liberty as we continue. I, I I would bet on it. Okay. Um, let's uh, let's see. Where shall we go first? There's a lot of places to go. Uh, we we haven't been doing this previous weeks, but how many people have Atlanta players or other employees of the of the Atlanta Braves? How many have they extended since we last spoke? Uh, I think Hank Aaron actually just got a contract extension <laughs> this morning. Uh, they're going to keep him in Atlanta through his age 92 season. Uh, yeah, now the Braves are on an extension spree. I think they're out of players at this point. Like the, the, uh, I mean, I guess they could do a Justin Upton deal, maybe. Uh, but at this point, I think they're probably done. Uh, I think Andrelton Simmons was probably their last guy. And now they're going to go forward with this core that they've kind of locked up through, you know, the 2018, 2019 season, most likely. And, uh, this is the team they're going to go forward with. Right. So, well, they and they also extended their manager and general manager too. They did, yes. So, Frank Friend and and uh, Freddie Gonzalez. Now, is this just? Uh, I guess. I mean, it, it seems as though there have been arguments uh, for extending all of the players. Um, is there? I guess what they're looking for is continuity of some fashion. Is that? I mean, is that their goal, or is it just that they had a lot of players who were? Um, for whom this was an appropriate move at the right time, and they're not necessarily the moves are not necessarily related to each other. No, I, I think they definitely are related to each other. I don't know that it's so much that you're aiming for continuity. I don't. I don't think they necessarily care about having like the same, you know, eight guys playing together for seven years as much as they care about having good players play together for seven or eight years. And they have some good players, and if they don't sign them now, they'd get to free agency, or they'd get you know further in their arbitration years, and they'd be too expensive to keep them all. I think they looked at it and said. Our best chance to keep this core is to do them all now, and we'll probably have a better chance of getting them each signed if we do them in the same offseason. So they go to Freddie Freeman and they say, we'll give you $135 million, and he signs. And then they go to you know Craig Kimbrell and they say, we'll give you $40 million. Hey, look, we just signed Freeman. We're obviously committed to this. After we sign you, we're going to go to Julio Tehran, and we're going to go to Andrelton Simmons, and we're going to keep everybody. And Kimbrell says, I'm in. And then, and then Tehran says he's in, and Simmons sees what they're doing, and everyone gets on board. So... I don't know that it was so much continuity, but I do think that there was a strategy to getting these all done within about a month, and each signing probably, or you know, the the 
the signings that came latest were probably inspired and helped by the ones that came earlier. Right, because, uh, well, I, I know that I certainly saw it with regard to an, another extension that occurred over the last week, which was the Homer Bailey extension. I saw it, not, and maybe this happens every time, but there was, uh, there was a report that um, Homer Bailey wanted assurance that the team would be trying to remain competitive over the duration of his contract, essentially. Yeah, and I think this is for, you know, players who aren't signing with the Yankees or the Red Sox or something. This is a concern. Like, if you're a mid-market team, you don't want them to pull the Marlins and trade everyone away, and all of a sudden you're locked in for six years, and now the team has no chance of winning. So I think for these guys who are signing with, you know, teams like Cincinnati or Atlanta or, you know, the mid-revenue teams, they do want some assurances that they're not just the last expenditure and they're going to be the one premier player playing along with 24 minor leaguers. Is the, uh, is there precedent? I mean, I'm uh, you know I'm a dummy, but is there is there uh, precedence uh, for th- this sort of um, spate of signings like like Atlanta has executed over the past two three weeks? Yeah, I mean, so the, one of the interesting uh, factoids of all this is that Atlanta actually hired John Hart uh, as a consultant over the offseason, so he's joined their front office. John Hart basically pioneered this strategy back in the mid-'90s when he was with Cleveland, signing Carlos Baerga and, and Albert Bell and uh, Kenny Lofton and all those guys who kind of came up together, uh, and they all he got like five or six or seven long-term deals all at the same time, bought out their arbitration years and a couple free agent years, and this was kind of the John Hart model. And now John Hart works for the Braves, and the Braves are doing the John Hart model after years of not doing this kind of move. I think there's probably some uh, some cause and effect there where, you know, I don't know that that was necessarily the plan when they hired John Hart is to get him to help them do all the extensions, but he clearly has some, uh, you know, respect within the game, and, and I think people listen to him, and this is an idea that he has long been in favor of. Uh, and I think, you know, other teams have done this uh since Hart, it wasn't like this has died out for the last 15 years. I mean, I think the Angels, uh, back in their World Series run at the turn of the century, uh, they had like six or seven guys they signed early, uh, and, you know, bought out a couple free agent years and their RB years and, and did a similar kind of thing. So I think we've seen waves of young talent come into an organization and stay together before. Uh, and I think overall, the, the history has shown that this is, it turns out to be a, a money saving decision for the organization. Is, are those those, uh, Cleveland teams that had, um... That was like the one, like the one that scored a thousand runs or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah those, those are the Cleveland teams that could hit the crap out of the ball. Yeah, and well, had, I know. I had Jose Mesa as their closer. Yeah, right. And well, I just remember like one of those lineups, like Manny Ramirez batting yeah. seventh or eighth or something. Yeah, they, I mean, a young like, Manny, but but Manny yeah. Ramirez nonetheless. Like the '93 to '96 Indians offenses were ridiculous. Yeah, those are, yeah, yeah, those were crazy teams. Um, Let's see. Uh, John Hart, Cleveland Indians. Oh, oh yeah. I was going to ask you because the Royals have. I know the Royals sort of had this crop of young players, right? Between, I mean, Alex Gordon is a little bit on the older edge of that crop, but then you also had uh, Hosmer and um, uh, Salvador Mike, Perez. This is one of Mike them. Moustakas. Mike Mustakas, of course, and uh, and uh, Alcides Escobar. You know, yep. it's kind of part of that conversation. Have they? Have they? Where are they at with all, with all their renewals? It, it, you know, so, and again, it makes sense to talk about Kansas City right after you talk about Atlanta. It's natural. Yeah, of course, the yeah. same organization. Just, you know, a slight <laughs> extension. Uh, so the Royals locked up Alex Gordon a couple of years ago after he had his like mini breakout season, uh, and they got him for what now looks like a fantastic price. I think it was like a four-year, thirty-six million dollar contract or something. Uh, and they covered a couple free agent years. Obviously, no one's signing for that kind of contract anymore. Uh, 
uh, if they're as good as Alex Gordon is. So uh, this is a nice contract for the Royals, but it expires, uh, I think, you know, two more years. They don't, they don't have him super long term. Uh, and then the rest of their young core is mostly not signed. So they got a great deal with Salvador Perez. They signed him uh, halfway through his rookie season to a, a deal that pays him nothing. Uh, and I think, you know, they've got uh, a couple of their pitchers signed um, uh, in the bullpen, like, you know, Wade Davis is under team control. They acquired that from Tampa Bay. But they've got team options for Wade Davis for the next couple of years if he uh, – turns into something and, and something they want to keep around. But I think Hosmer hasn't been extended. Moustakas hasn't been extended. For the most part, they haven't gone this this route of locking up guys super early. On the other hand, you know, Hosmer and Moustakas aren't necessarily as accomplished as, you know, Freddie Freeman or Craig Kimbrell or, uh, you know, uh, Jason Hayward, some of these guys. Right. Now, I read uh, with regard to Simmons' uh, contract that this was uh, for players who were between, what, one and two years of service? Yes, this he got is, the lar- he got the largest deal ever for a player with between one and two years. Just to just to give sort of provide a framework, who, who are some other players that have been resigned in in that area? I mean, and if you don't know off the top of your head, that's fine. So the record previously was the uh, Ryan Braun deal, uh, right. which was signed back in 2008, uh, and he got 45 million. It was reported for over eight years. Uh, with the, with these kind of contracts, you have to be careful on the years because they sometimes don't start until uh, the next year. Uh, sometimes they're signed early in the season and it covers the current year, so you can't necessarily say, oh, this eight-year deal was definitely buying out more free agent years than some seven-year deal. It just depends on when they start. So bronze deal bought, bought out two free agent years as well, um, and I think it may have given the Brewers an option for a third, but it was somewhere in that it, similar range of years um, as to what the Simmons deal bought out. Uh, even though it was only a seven-year deal compared to an eight-year deal, um, and Braun got 45 million. That was, uh, you know, six years ago now. It's 2008 versus 2014. Uh, so there's been a lot of inflation since then. But Simmons got 58 million, and you know, Anderson Simmons, a uh, really good player, but not necessarily the skill set we expect to get paid in arbitration. So for him to blow away Braun's record like he did, uh, you know, pretty surprising. Right. Yeah. And, and if I don't, I mean, if I'm remembering correctly, Ryan Braun was kind of like uh, a bananas offensive player right from the beginning, right? Yeah. So his rookie year, he was like the worst defensive player in the league. Yeah, well, because he was playing third, right? right? He was playing yeah. third base. He was a disaster at third base, but he could really hit. And then and they they extended him like a month and a half into his second year when he was really going nuts and like proving that he could really hit and playing a pretty decent left field. Um, I think we saw, you know, Paul Goldschmidt sign uh, last year in the same service time window, and he got 32 million. Um, over five years with a couple team options that could push it up to, uh, I think 48 million or something, something in that range. Um, so even like the good young sluggers more recently than Braun haven't gotten the numbers that Simmons got. Right. And so, and, and what we know about Simmons is that, uh, he has promise, uh, I guess offensively, or he has some, uh, I don't know if it's upside necessarily, but he doesn't strike out really. So, you know, you can, if you don't strike out, then that's a decent thing. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but he's, you know, but a lot of his value is in his defense. He he plays a plus plus shortstop. Yes, maybe uh, plus 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 plus. However, whatever you got. Yeah. I mean, is that three? Is that three standard deviations? Is that what that is? Uh, sure. Yeah, we can we can redefine the plus scale as like the twenty eighty scale or something. Right. Anderson Simmons is an eighty defender. I think yeah, that's he's fair. Right, he's an eighty defender. And what we also know about that is that. Um, Defense basically is, you know, he's he probably will never be a better defender uh, in the future than he is right now. He'll probably right. get slightly worse over time. Yep. 
Yes. Uh, maybe maybe even not slightly worse. I mean, I think when we look at like the, what the defensive numbers Andrew Simmons has put up the last couple of years, he's probably getting a lot worse. I, I don't think there's going to be a long stretch where Andrew Simmons is 30 runs better than an average defensive shortstop. Like that that peak of that kind of level of crazy range and crazy defensive performance probably isn't going to last forever. Okay, and so he's entering his age 24 season, I believe. Correct. And I'm um, also re- realizing as I say this that Zips has been added to – uh, the site. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I knew uh, David got the spreadsheet last week, but I wasn't sure what. Yeah. Was so, so that uh, I can breaking I, news. I can confirm that as I'm saying yeah. this. Right. Um, so- sources within the Sestuli household. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, very close to Carson yeah. Sestuli's computer. Can confirm. <laughs> um, uh, but we. Um, I mean, do we expect him to essentially decline from this point forward? So I would think you would expect him to decline more rapidly defensively than you would expect him to improve offensively, but there's certainly some offensive upwards growth that you'd expect that will eat into some of the, de- the defensive decline. And I think uh, the second half of the year last year is probably why Simmons got this extension. In the first half of the year, he wasn't much of a hitter. He was kind of in that Omar Vizquel, Alcides Escobar, um, you know, Brendan Ryan, bat, you know, really weak bat, really great glove. You'll keep him in the lineup for the defense, but he wasn't hitting a lot. Second half of the year, he ran a 118 WRC+. So, you know, it's only a couple hundred plate appearances. But if you have a premium defender who's also an above-average hitter, that's one of the best players in the game. And I think the Braves saw, hey, if Simmons carries over his second half, even if it's not a 119 WRC+, if it's a 100 or 105 or 110, all of a sudden he's as valuable as, like, Jacoby Ellsbury, which is, you know, it's basically the same skill set Ellsbury has as a slightly above-average hitter uh, with good defense and a premium position. Uh, I think the Braves were essentially buying out the chance that Simmons has a monster breakout 2014 season where he hits at an average or above average level and maintains a decent amount of his defensive performance because we don't expect it to go away at age 24 and has a you know six or seven win season, finishes top five in the MVP balloting, and now he wants $130 million. Okay, yeah, and uh, so, so what you're saying is news to me. I hadn't realized he was that great in the second half. By the way, 118 WRC Plus with a 249 BABIP. Yeah, right. So, so this- so there's room there. He had he had over a 200 isolated slugging percentage. He hit for a lot of power in the second half. And I, so the one thing with Simmons' BABIP is he does hit a ton of infield flies. He's like the new Ian Kinsler, where his BABIP's always going to be a little bit low as long as he's got this uppercut swing that produces more home runs than you expect for a guy with his frame, but also produces a ton of pop-ups. So we don't want to look at Simmons and say, oh, a 250 BABIP. Yeah, that could go to 300. It's probably not going to go to 300 for the same reason that he's he's slugging, you know, 170 instead of 110. Uh, there's a trade-off there that he's making. But I think, you know, 250 might not be the actual uh, expected about going for. Maybe it's 270 or 275. And, you know, uh, even if the power comes down a little bit and the BABIP goes up to 275, all of a sudden it's not that hard to see Simmons as an above-average hitter. And an above-average hitter with his defense is, is crazy valuable. Yeah, he's a he's a cool player. He's not bad, yeah. Yeah, he's a cool player to have on your yeah. team. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Good job. Well, and I remember during the uh, World Baseball Classic last year, he was actually hitting for some power too. He was kind of he kind of started to to sort of churn on on some pitches down the line, which I don't necessarily think had been part of his repertoire, at least in a conspicuous way before that. 
Yeah, I think the the thing with Simmons is when you look at him play defense, it's easy to kind of put him in a box and say, this is the kind of hitter he is because of how good a fielder he is. But that's not really true. And I think, like, uh, I'm actually, by, by the time people listen to this podcast, I'll have published a piece on Brett Gardner that is kind of making a similar point where people think about Brett Gardner as a speed and defense leadoff guy who gets all his defense, for, uh, gets all his value from the glove. Eh, if you look at it, Brett Gardner is actually a pretty good offensive player, too. Well, let's talk about Gardner briefly. Uh, that was another one of the extensions that went up. How does this? Uh, so, it was four years, fifty-two? Is that right? Yeah, four years, fifty-two. But it doesn't start till next year. He was already under team control for five this year. So, uh, if you wanted to say from right now, it's five fifty-seven. But they basically bought four free agent years for fifty-two million. This is the standard free agent contract of the last couple of years. This is basically the Michael Bourne, Nick Swisher, um, Johnny Peralta, Matt Garza, Abaldo uh, Jimenez, like, you know, like six or seven guys signed this contract. Um, it's a pretty standard, above-average, non-star, uh, quality player, but not someone we think is a franchise guy. Uh, and I think, you know, that's probably fair to say of Gardner because of his health problems, but when he's healthy, he's better than all the other guys signing for 452. Well, it's interesting, but but now it seems like with especially with some of the extensions that uh, Atlanta has given, and you you suggest I think right that the, maybe the market for extensions is changing. So 452 now might be different than 452 a couple of years ago. It is, so it is. I mean, I think we're definitely seeing inflation in, in baseball and prices are going up. But I think the, the changing extension market is actually more towards younger players and early service time guys, uh, the two, three, four year service time guys. Gardner's a year from free agency. This isn't so much an extension as it is buying out free agent years that, you know, giving him his free agent price a year in advance um, versus, you know, a young player like like Simmons or Freeman getting a long-term deal that buys out their prime years uh, and keeps them with their organization through age 30. Gardner's already 30. So this is a free agent deal done in advance of the free agent market. And I think uh, what we're basically looking at is the Yankees saying, if Gardner has a good, solid, healthy season, Gets 500, 600 plate appearances. We think he might get 575 next winter. We'd rather give him 452 now and just avoid the avoid the hassle. Yeah. Just as an aside, does it feel nice to have actual things about which we can talk? Uh, Have we talked about fake things in the past? Well, no, but we've had there were some, especially because we had that huge run of contracts like pretty early in the in the free agent season. Yeah. And then there was a. There was some, there were some dry dry spells. There was a, there was a lull in January. Yeah, for sure. and, but now yeah. we have these are real these are meaty meaty things. Yeah, no, wait, uh, wait, is there actually like a are we in extension season? Is that what this yeah. is traditionally? Yeah. So basically, the start of spring training to kind of opening day is considered extension season. This is when teams and, and players who want to renegotiate their deals or negotiate new deals sit down and hammer this stuff out. So like. In the off season, the teams are generally focused on new acquisitions, uh, more interested in bringing players in and kind of uh, adding to their current stable of players. Then when you get down to spring training, there's not a ton of stuff for the teams to do. They basically just need to keep everyone healthy and watch practice and, you know, make roster decisions. But they've, you know, there's not a ton of trade talk going on. Most of the free agents have already been signed. Uh, you know, there's not games that they have to, you know, the major league games they have to go make decisions on. Uh, so they have like a six-week period where there's not a ton of stuff for them to do. This is the perfect time for them to engage uh, their players who are also, you know, in camp 
with their teammates thinking, hey, maybe this is somewhere I want to stay. I'm not like too seriously focused on tomorrow's Cactus League game or Grapefruit League game. I'm totally willing to discuss the contract extensions. We see a lot of extensions in February and March. I think we're seeing more than we used to, but this is the time of year where extensions happen. They look at it. Now, um, two, since we last spoke, I believe two free agents have signed. Uh, two of the more, uh, two of the higher profile free agents, uh, I think they were, they were both offered, um, uh, they were both offered uh, qualifying offers. They're both extended qualifying offers. And that's uh, Ubaldo Jimenez and Nelson Cruz. And they happen to have signed with the same team. Uh, yeah. I, you agree? You agree with that? Yeah, well, it's not a coincidence that they signed with the same team. I mean, the Orioles signed Nelson Cruz because they signed Ubaldo Jimenez. Like, they said, we're already punting a draft pick to sign Jimenez. The cost of signing Cruz just went down because now we're giving up the 55th pick in the draft, not the 17th. Right. Uh, and that, and that, but now, does that, that 50th pick goes to the Texas Rangers, right? No. So now when you sign a qualifying offer for agent, you just lose the pick. And oh, the, right. Okay, uh, right. The, so the pick goes away. And then the team who made the qualifying offer gets a compensatory pick. And that's during a compensatory round? Yeah, it's after the first round. Okay. All right. And they're all during then? Uh, yes. All okay. the compensatory picks are, uh, after the first round. And is the, are they, are they tiered in the same way in terms of, uh, how, how it applies to the, the spending allocation for what, the first eight, was it eight rounds or something? Ten rounds? Yeah, so right. If you get a compensatory pick, you get a slot bonus that goes, so it's like, say you get the 36th pick in the draft. Whatever the slot value of the 36th pick was before that was des- designed a compensatory pick, that's what you get for that slot. Okay. Um, so, all right, so, so the, but the, the Orioles don't mind because they say, well, 50, 55th pick, um, this is not, uh, this is not that big of a deal because uh, 55th picks are not as valuable as what, what was the 17th overall was their other pick, right? Yeah. So I think there's a rapidly declining marginal value of draft picks where the first maybe 20 are really valuable. Obviously the, the number one pick is super valuable. And then like, two to five are really valuable and then like six to 15 are all kind of valuable and then like 16 to 20 are sort of valuable and then after that it's a little bit of a crapshoot where there's not a huge difference between like 21 and 70 or something i mean like it flattens out pretty pretty quickly in the first round um well, I think it, the, well it all depends who the st louis cardinals are picking yeah this is true unless you're the <laughs> cardinals in which every pick you have is super valuable because you're going to turn everyone into a superstar right. uh but you know i think for most teams a second round pick is not going to be a large factor in their valuation of free agent signing they're they're maybe going to value that pick at a million dollars or a million five or something and you know to get nelson cruz for eight million dollars on a one-year deal if that means like including the draft pick their total cost is nine nine and a half even ten million they're probably still okay with that and what they they had the uh, well of course they have um adam uh, adam 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 adam, adam, adam jones adam, adam jones adam jones yeah. Adam and Eve? They have Adam yeah, and Eve. Uh, well, I, you just kept playing Adam. So Adam. They like, have Adam just, Jones. They have Adam right, Jones. Yeah. They have Nick Markakis. Although, yeah. Markakis is a strange player because he looked so promising at one point. He was very good. He yeah. came, had a six-win season when they gave him their, the uh, six-year, $66 million extension, and then he's been terrible ever since. Yeah, yeah. He did, his power dried up. Anyway. Uh, and then uh, I guess in left field they had some combination. They were thinking of some combination of known Reimold and and David Luff, Low Luff, Low. Uh, so I think we got this wrong on the podcast when the trade happened. I think we called him David Luff, and I got made fun of. So now I'm going to say it's David Low, even though I have no idea. Bob, you know, 
You might still get made fun of, Dave Cameron. This is probably true. Yeah. Um, okay. So, the, so some combination of Lowe and Reimold and maybe Henry Arudia. Arudia. Yeah. Arudia. You think you're sure it's Arudia? I think so. I'm okay. more sure than I am that it's for this David Lowe. Okay. All right. We should call Edo for a confirmation. No, yeah, whatever the opposite of – yeah. yeah, whatever right. he says is good. Yeah, but, uh, so now it's Nelson Cruz in left field instead. No, Nelson Cruz is going to DH. Nelson Cruz is going to DH. Yeah. The, the, I think they're still going to use David Lowe uh, as their primary left fielder, uh, and Nelson Cruz is going to spend a lot of time at DH. Okay. And Nelson Cruz is a D- – well, he's got decent power. I mean, isn't he – What's the difference between him and Mike Morse at this point? Yeah, they're the same player. Okay. <laughs> I think when when there was a lot of rumors about the Mariners signing Nelson Cruz, uh, we were making jokes that they were just signing uh, Mike Morse with an accent because, you know, it's the same kind of skill set. Cruz is a better defender than Morse is. Morse is strictly a DH. Cruz actually, you know, won't kill you in the outfield. Uh, and Morse is actually probably a better hitter than Cruz. So there's, like, slight trade-offs. They're not exactly the same player. But I think it is interesting when you look at kind of the – Bat only, uh, and not that great of hitter, uh, free agents this winter. They all did kind of sign the same similar, uh, you know, six to seven, eight million dollar deal. Uh, Mark Reynolds got the same deal last winter. This has kind of, uh, become like the de facto contract for guys with power who suck at everything else. Right. Okay. He declined a qualifying offer. That was a mistake, yeah. Yeah, right. And so what, do we know what actually happens there? Because he, Rejected. He declined yeah. fourteen million dollars yeah. for a one-year contract. Ended yeah. up signing a one-year eight million-dollar contract, right? With a little bit in the way of incentives. Yeah. Now, what? Who, I assume you know Nelson Cruz isn't you know sitting there with a you know all he's not like saying oh, well here are the chances I get uh, signed here's my here's my odds for making more than fourteen million dollars. I assume someone advises him on this. Yeah. Um, perhaps yes. It appears as a, a Wasserman Media Group. Right. Yeah. So is this awkward now? Nelson Cruz talking with the Wasserman Media Group. He's like, Hey guys, uh, hmm, remember when I had fourteen million dollars I could have? Yeah. Uh, so my guess is so uh, I think Nelson Cruz is probably unhappy with the situation. My guess is that the agent has probably convinced him entirely that this is draft pick compensation's fault, and this was not something that could have been foreseen, where he has been screwed by the draft pick compensation process, and he should appeal to the MLBPA and get them to change this horrible thing that cost him $50 million. That's, I mean, my guess on the spin they have told him is not so much, hey, we misread the market, as much as the market hosed you because you were attached to draft pick compensation, and this is a terrible rule, we need to help the players so she can get rid of or change or something along those lines. I don't think the agent's being like, yeah, man, our bad. Yeah, well, I assume, I, I assume that they would try not to say that. But uh, yeah. it does kind of seem like they're bad because obviously they're aware of the they're aware of the, the landscape to some degree. Yeah, so I will say that I don't think that Cruz – obviously it didn't work out for him. I don't think that him turning down the qualifying offer was actually a bad decision uh, because I think if you look at the history of this kind of player and what the market has actually paid for them previously – there were plenty of reasons to think that he was going to be able to land a multi-year contract, not for $14 million a year necessarily, but a total guarantee that was north of 14. So if you're Nelson Cruz, at this point in your career, you've made a decent amount of money. Uh, you're probably not so much concerned with maximizing your annual salary as you are in getting a multi-year commitment, getting some stability, being able to say, okay, I'm going to play with this team for you know two or three years and kind of know that this is where I am. 
if you're his agent, it's not unreasonable to tell Nelson Cruz, I can get you 330 this winter or 327 or something in that range. That's, you know, double the commitment that you would get or double the total money you would get it from accepting the qualifying offer. And you won't have to go through this again next winter. And you're not going to have to be a year to year guy. You're not going to have to be a free agent every winter. Then you're going to have some stability. I don't think that's an outrageous, uh, thought based on, you know, what, uh, Cruz's skill set has generally been paid. And, you know, in our contract crowdsourcing, the Fangraphs crowd, which is generally too low and, and underestimates player salaries, guessed that he would get $33 million over three years. I think this is a totally reasonable expectation. The market just corrected and figured out that Nelson Cruz is not as, as good and, and worth uh, what he's asking for, maybe faster than anyone could have expected. Yeah. I think Je- Jeff Sullivan made the point that Chris Young is making is still what is still making less money, right? Is yeah, Chris right? Young got seven million dollars, and I think you know Chris Young is probably a better player than Nelson Cruz. Yeah, I think I Sandy know. Sandy Alderson made some points over the weekend when someone asked him about it, and he said, "I'd rather have Nelson Cruz than Chris Young. Chris Young has power too when he plays defense." And uh, oh, you, you said know, Chris, you'd rather have Chris Young than Nelson Cruz. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you know I think uh, there are certainly players who are um, undervalued by the market. Chris Young is probably one of those. Nelson Cruz is a player who's generally been overvalued by the market. The market didn't correct on Chris Young, right? Like, Chris Young is still underpaid. Uh, I think we should not have expected the market to overcorrect or to correct itself to this extreme on Nelson Cruz. I don't think anyone thought he was going to sign for 1-8. And when he turned down the qualifying offer, no one was calling him an idiot. Did uh, Is it true that there were rumors, right, that he received two, uh, offers for two or three years? Is that is that a thing? There were rumors at the winter meetings that he was asking for four or five and getting interest. There was a, at one point there was a rumor going around Orlando that he got seventy-five million over five years from the Mariners and turned it down because he didn't want to play there. You know, maybe that's true, maybe that's not. Hard to say. Um, if he actually turned down seventy-five million and he signed for eight, then he then he's a boob. Unless he unless he just loves Baltimore. Maybe. I, I mean, I think so. There probably is something to the fact that he didn't want to play in Seattle, and I think the Mariners made it. You know, pretty clear that this is the kind of player they liked at the Mariner Fan Fest last month. Jack Zarensic was publicly stating that he would love to have Nelson Cruz in his lineup. And, you know, like, almost trying to woo Nelson Cruz. Uh, Robinson Cano was talking openly about how he'd love to have Cruz hitting behind him. It was like a little bit of a media push to try and get Nelson Cruz to come to Seattle, which is unusual. You don't usually see teams, like, making these kinds of overtures too to free agents, especially a team that's, you know, known for no comment and saying nothing. Um, and so I think there probably was some uh, unrequited love from Seattle to, to, to Cruz where this is not necessarily the best Cruz could have gotten. He probably could have taken uh, more money from the Mariners. We don't know that for a fact, but it seems likely uh, that he turned down more money to go play in Baltimore than he could have gotten in Seattle. Hmm. Um, okay, uh, you, you've, you've uh, certainly... Um fulfilled your obligation i just want to get to one more point quickly um but i have not fulfilled my obligation well no, no but no this is extra credit uh <laughs> i'm going to invoke this first of all uh chris capuano uh, recently signed for what a, a year and oh no cameron cameron yeah sorry my wife called and, and uh, apparently skype just uh, overrides uh, when your phone oh, yeah, rings. Right. Okay, well, that's fair. So, so uh, but but feel feel loved. I hung up on her and, you, and came yeah, back to you. She doesn't. She won't listen to this. Never mind. You won't listen to this. So yeah. yeah no, no. I did. Yeah, no camera yeah, listening. Um, Chris Capuano signed a guaranteed uh, what one year, two and a quarter, with uh, incentives that could bring it to five. Okay, that's a good deal yes. because Chris Capuano has been a good pitcher. 
Uh, yeah, or an okay pitcher probably right. is a better. Well, relative way of to even it. being an okay starter, that's a good. That's a good point. The only reason I bring it up is because it made me think uh, that that deal has happened since. I think it happened since you did you published your best and worst transactions. I think maybe in between it occurred in between. Yeah, maybe probably. it led me to, to ask you this question. This is the last question I'll ask you. Uh, you published uh, right in the middle of last week your the, um, what you consider to be the ten best and then also the ten worst transactions of the off season. I am curious as yep. to whether any of the deals that have happened since you published either of those um, would have prompted you to alter those lists. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, so. I like Chris Capuano a decent amount, but I think the reality is for the Red Sox, he's the number six starter. He's probably going to start the year in the bullpen unless someone gets hurt, and there's a decent chance that he could just end up as a middle reliever. I mean, if, if the Red Sox starters all pitch fairly well, uh, and he's pitching well out of the bullpen. Even if someone gets hurt in May, are they going to then take Capuano out of middle relief role where, uh, you know, he's killing lefties and being a valuable part of their bullpen in order to try and stretch him out into a five or six inning starter and then move him back to the bullpen? Probably not. I think like, you know, at that point they'd probably call up a guy from AAA who's already, uh, stretched out, ready to go. I think barring an, an injury in March, Capuano might spend the whole year in the bullpen and this could be his new role. I mean, he's really tough on left-handers, uh, and he might just carve out a niche as a left-handed reliever. Two and a half million dollars for a left-handed reliever is not any kind of, you know, ten best move of the offseason. So I like Capuano. I think he's good depth for the Red Sox. Uh, I don't think he's going to end up being, you know, a two-hundred uh, native. Year. It should be noted. Yeah, right. So he's probably another player who took less money in order yeah. to sign with a team in the Northeast. This seems to be a trend. Oh uh, no, because hey, he's from Baltimore. He's not, but he went to the Northeast to. Hmm. <laughs> anyway, it seems like there there's a a trend of players uh taking less money to play in places that have easy flights uh and and not so much. You know, like if you're playing in Seattle or even in California and you want to get to the Dominican, that's hard. That's that's not an easy thing. If you're playing in Baltimore or New York or Philadelphia or Boston or one of these major cities on the East Coast that has 7 million flights a day, that's, that's a why probably easier. like uh, Jose Reyes was kind of bummed to go from Miami to Toronto. Probably, yeah. I would imagine that was not his yeah. preferred destination. All right. Well, you're done then. Good. Hey, Dave thanks. Cameron, thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, I will know. Yeah, what's up? No with... more squeaky toys. We only have we have the one. She went outside. She it's like uh, 70 degrees here in in North Carolina today, and so she is yeah. basking. Well, I'll tell you, sun. it's nice in Paris, France today too. But you know where it's uh, not as nice? Yes, yeah, uh, Madison, true. Wisconsin. Seems like it's been terrible yeah. there. Uh, Chicago too. Yeah, I would say imagine the, the the entire north uh northeast. What they said like the snowstorm that hit New York last week was the fourteenth of winter. <laughs> fourteen snowstorms in the winter. Uh I think that is God <laughs> telling you all to move. Well, it is it is crazy because you know most of uh, it's certainly the like Western Europe has you know decent weather. Sometimes sometimes it could skew like a little bit. You know like like you know when you're from the Seattle area, it can and that, and that can have yeah. its own effects. Um. Primarily that it depresses everyone and forces them to do heroin. Right, and, and, and listen to yeah. grudge music and but wear flannel. it's not – the weather's yeah. not bad. It's not it's, – it's, here's the thing. If you were naked, you would not die. Whereas if you were naked in Chicago, then you would have died a thousand times already this winter. How many lives you know, do we think people in Chicago have? Initially. I mean, that's it. Yeah, so you would be very dead. Yeah. 
right. Yeah, they would have so died. They and died. And then, then they would have been very well preserved. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You'd be yeah, right. tombed in your own house. All right, dude. Hey, uh, well, I want to thank you. That has been uh, Dave Cameron. Uh, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. I'm Carson Stooley. It's been Fangraphs Audio.